Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31, and can be found on page 600 in the Bibles we provide and on page 118 of the children's Bibles. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through chapter 12, verse 3, and can be found on page 1000 in the Bibles we provide and on page 146 of the children's Bibles. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. Sermon text from this morning um, comes from Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verses 1. It can be found on page 981 in the Bibles we provide and 288 in the children's Bible. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you now and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is the word of the Lord. We are continuing our study in the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, um, as we've been doing for the last couple of months. And it just reminds us as we start to think about the, the message that Paul's trying to give to this church. As you'll remember, this is a church he loves dearly. We see that through the things that he says and writes to them. But also it's a church, his hope and goal is for Christian maturity for them. He wants them to know Christ completely. We see that. We'll see that even more here this morning. And the idea of that is there's something in them that thinks maybe we've arrived. Maybe we've gotten there. And I think we see that for ourselves as Christians. You know, I've already told you before that I love like church signs. That's still, some of you emailed me church signs and texted me church signs. Thank you. I can never get enough. I drive by like random churches all the time to see what new message that they have. And the problem with us as Christians is we try to put the message of the gospel in a cute, pithy message. It never really works the way we want. The way that you can see that is in people's bumper stickers. If you've ever noticed people with Christian bumper stickers, like God is my co-pilot. I understand what they're saying, right? We get what they're saying that, you know, God's with me, whatever I do. God's not your co-pilot. That says I'm driving. And if I need a course correction along the way, I may ask him if he has some input or an opinion on it. God is not your co-pilot. If you think that he is, yeah, we'll go later there. God is not our, but we, we want to say that. And one other one that like really, I think is funny, which I brought for us. Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Now, if you have this on your car, I'm not trying to offend you in any way, shape, form, or fashion. That's great. This is, this is a way to show people who we are in Christ. That's great. But do we realize what this says to people? What we think it says to people is we're just like everybody else. There's nothing different about us. We're just forgiven. And wouldn't you want to be forgiven too? That's what we think it says. What it actually says is, hey, we can do whatever we want because we're forgiven. Or, you know, we're just forgiven. I mean, it's something that God did. It's not that big of a deal. It's just forgiveness after all. It has us thinking in terms of being very complacent or very not capable of understanding the depth of what Christ has done for us. And we don't mean to act that way. That's what the Philippian church was doing. This idea of, you know what? I mean, we're forgiven. So isn't that the end goal? Isn't that the desire that we want? Now that we have Christ, now that we're forgiven, now that we have heaven, we win now, right? We're done. High five all around. 
What Paul's trying to say to them here is no, we press on. We press on. We long for, want, desire way more than just forgiveness, way more than just an understanding of the gospel. There is more for us. And what he's gonna show us this morning is we're gonna talk about that he calls us to press on and then he tells us how to press on. He does it in four ways. Because the first thing we gotta do is we've gotta forget what's behind. Gotta forget what's behind. The second thing is we've gotta strain to what's ahead. The third thing is we've gotta keep our eyes up on the example before us. And the last thing is we've gotta live out who we are. So that's what we're gonna hopefully accomplish here this morning. First is this call to press on. Paul does it two different times. He says, press on. In the Greek, the understanding of this word is to pursue, to obtain. And the picture is like a hunter and prey that you are going, you are stalking, you're going after it because what you want is to make it your own, to take it as a hunter, to eat it, hopefully, that that's the end goal. So when he says press on, I think sometimes we think Paul's just saying, hey, just keep moving. For those of you that are Finding Nemo or Finding Dory fans, if you remember Dory, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. That's not what he's doing. He's not just telling us to keep swimming. I think we think we're supposed to move for movement's sake. Some of you look at me and go, Andrew, I think you move for movement's sake. That might be true. But he's saying, no, there's an intentionality. I want you to press on as if you're going towards a goal to go and grab and obtain for yourself. It's not just movement. He says, press on in that way to go after that which is out there for you. And then the motive of it matters. He says that Christ made us his own. So often we think that we're trying to go after God in order for him to love us and make us his own. And this word is like to grasp. So what we think is that God is kind of wanting to withhold blessings. He doesn't really know us or love us. So if we go grab Jesus or go grab God and hold on for dear life, he's gonna go, okay, fine, you're blessed. When the truth is, if that's our motive, it changes how we live our whole life. We live as the Pharisees live, constantly trying to keep up, constantly trying to be good enough to earn forgiveness from God. What it says is that he, we take hold of him because he's taken hold of us. Dear old pastor, his name is Joe Novenson down at Lookout Mountain, had this beautiful picture of this. If you know Joe Novenson, he has this like really like kind of crippled arthritic hand. And what he says is so often is we have God and God grabs us. And we fight and we're trying to get away and we're like, no, I want it my way. I want what I want. Until we realize what God has grasped us for. He's like, I grasp you because I love you, because I wanna know you, because I want you to follow me. I want what's best for you. And in that moment, we change from this to this, that we grasp him Two, in light of when we realize what's been done for us, of course, we're going to make him our own because he's made us his own, because of what he's already done. So as we think about pressing on, and he says that we want to take hold of him who's already taken hold of us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon has a quote that I think is going to be up on the screen. It's what he said. He grasped me, this being Christ, in order to make me perfected. So I want to grasp that perfection. 
He's laid hold of me to get rid of my sin. And I wanna lay hold of a clean riddance of sin, apprehending that for which Christ apprehended me. When we realize that God grabbed onto you if you are his for a purpose, so that we would long to grab back at him as he wants to make us perfect, as he wants to get rid of our sin. He wants us to know him deeply. And that's the goal. When we think about what are we pressing on to, Paul gives us the goal. That's why we read back to verse 10. Paul's goal in Christian maturity is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings. That's us. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Why do we exist? We exist to know and worship God and to make him known. So we see that in those pictures, to know him, know him deeply. It's why we gather in worship. It's why we read God's word. It's why we pray. It's why we're in fellowship with other believers is to know Christ more. But then as we share Christ more, we'll do it when we understand the true ramifications and implications of his resurrection. We realize that he has been made new. He's been resurrected from the dead, which gives us hope that we will as well. So we have a hope to share with other people. And when we share it with other people, what will we endure but suffering? We will suffer for his sake because he suffered for our sake. That's this call, this picture of us to press on to press on for more of him. So how do we press on? The first thing we have to do is to forget what's behind. And what I love that Paul does here, he gives us a picture of a race. Now you always get tricky. When you're given a sermon, you have to be careful what analogies you use. Too often, if you rely on sports analogies, there are people who don't like sports. But race, I would dare say every one of you has raced someone. You've raced a brother or sister to be the first one to the table to get dessert. You've raced someone to the car to get shotgun. You've raced someone on the playground to see who was faster. You may not remember it. it. May have been a long time ago for some of us, but you've been in a race before. You understand the picture of running in a direction. And so Paul gives us that. He says, the first thing we have to do is forgetting what is behind. So think for a second, put yourself in this race analogy. Imagine someone as they start the race, starts to look backwards. Can you imagine running in this direction and looking in that direction? I don't think I'd make it across the stage, which maybe some of you would like to see, but that's what's not, he says, forget what's behind. And we have to understand this biblical idea of forgetting is not have a bad memory. Let's not pretend like it didn't happen. Because what are we told in the Bible? That he, that God remembers our sins no more. Does that mean that God, the perfect God has a bad memory? No. When it says that he forgets, when we're called to forget what is behind, he's saying it should have no more sway or implication on now. It should have no more to say about what we're doing now. It should have no more influence on us what's happened in the past shouldn't be what affects what happens to us today. It should have no more influence over you and for me. That's what it means to forget. And he's not just saying forgetting the bad things, but also the good. We must forget the terrible, awful sin that we had in our life before Christ. We don't need to look back at that, but we also need to forget all the ways of success. 
because we don't need our guilt and shame holding us back and we don't need our successes keeping us from knowing God more. And the truth is the more we look back, the more likely we are to go back. Think about God's people, Israel in the wilderness. They've had this amazing thing happen for them. He parts the Red Sea. He brings them into the wilderness. After a little while, what do they do? They start to think back towards Egypt. But do you notice, if you've ever read that part of the Bible before, all they focus on is what they had. Do you remember those meat pots that we had? We had food all the time. It was so good. And here we are starving in the wilderness. We all have revisionist history in us. We all look back at things more favorably than they actually were. We all remember the good parts of something that happened and not all the bad that goes with it. So we're called to be a people who does not think about what's behind us, forgetting what is behind to strain to what is ahead. There are things in your life now that are keeping you from pulling after and pressing on towards God from your past. What are they? What's the sin or what's the success that's holding you back this morning? We are called to put it in the rearview mirror. We're called to run forward. That's two. So we forget what is behind and we strain towards what is ahead. That is a picture of us moving with every muscle in one direction straining with all of our might. And the idea is that we've got a race that's marked out for us. Paul mentions that in some of his other writings. But can you imagine that if we started racing and you were in the lanes of a race and you start just wandering, you start going over here and over here, that's gonna be a pretty ineffective race. And you're probably gonna make some people mad at you. That's the idea is there's this one thing. He says, one thing I do, forget what is behind us, strain towards what is ahead? What's the one thing that is our pure passion that we are going after with all of our might? Would we say that is Christ, that I do everything, the greatest joy that I have in life is to strain to know Christ more deeply? Or am I pointing my life ahead to other things that ultimately will not satisfy us? We strain towards what is ahead and what is ahead is the goal for the prize that is called upward, heavenward to Christ Jesus. That your goal and my goal is not necessarily to win, but to finish the race. All those who run get the prize. We are all called to run the race that God's marked out for us and to run with all that we have in us, to strain to know him, his resurrection, and to share in his sufferings. And we do that to go to what we've already attained. It says, live up to what you've already attained. We have to remember that the victory has already been won for us who are in Christ. And we live up to who we already are. Live up to the fact that you, if you are in Christ, are forgiven, are righteous, are loved, are perfect, are joy living out of that, living out of what he's already done for you and for me. We strain towards what's ahead, forgetting what's behind. The third thing we do is we've got to keep our eyes up. If you've ever tried to run looking down, it's not going to go real well for you. 
you have to look up to where you're going. And he gives us these pictures as examples. He says, look up to the examples that you've been given. And he gives us two groups of examples. He gives us Paul and the church and he gives us the world. He says, follow me as he has multiple times. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now we can get confused with that thinking that Paul thinks he's somehow perfect or made it. What did he say at the very beginning? Not that I've already obtained all this, not that I've been made perfect. He knows he doesn't have it all together. He knows he's not this guru. But he also knows that he can't be complacent in who he is in Christ. That if Paul hasn't gotten it all together, if Paul doesn't get it right, none of us are. None of us are gonna get it right this side of glory. None of us are gonna figure it out. So we look at a guy like Paul and go, you know what? I'm not, until Christ comes back, gonna have it all figured out, but I wanna follow him. I wanna follow a guy who's being in prison for Christ and he tells people to press on, keep going. I wanna be with a guy who can say, I forget what is behind. I persecuted Christians. I killed them in the name of the church, but I forget what's behind. I wanna follow a guy who is straining towards what's ahead, who knows inevitably he is going to his death in the name of Jesus Christ and nothing will stop him. That he will go from imprisonment, he will appeal to Caesar because he knows it takes him to Rome and ultimately to his death and he would have no other way. I wanna follow someone like that who understood the power of resurrection in someone who shared in the sufferings of Christ. You and I are called to keep our eyes up in a man like that. Not the world. He says, now the next group. And I think we forget, probably, I know I do all the time, we're in a battle every single day. We're in a battle, not between flesh and blood, but from the heavenly realms that there is a spiritual battle all the time going on all around us, that whether we're aware of it or not. And so he says, you need to understand that there are many, that word, many are enemies of the cross of Christ. You and I have to realize we rub shoulders all the time with people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And there are two ways you can be an enemy of the cross. One can be the, I just don't believe in God. It's my, it's this kind of apathy towards him. It's an atheistic view. No. The other side of people who are enemies of Christ are people who are so religious, they don't think they need the gospel. They've got it all together. I don't need the cross. I don't need Jesus's sacrifice for me. I can do it on my own. I can live good enough. I can pray enough, read the Bible, go to church enough. I don't need him. Both are enemies. Both are people you contact with every day. What does it tell us about them? It's said that their minds are on earthly things. This was so convicting for me to read through this, to say that enemies of the Christ, enemies of the cross and enemies of Christ, that their minds are on earthly things. How often do I take heavenly things and make them earthly things? How often do I try to come up with a strategy or a thought process to make something happen that is only something the Holy Spirit can do? How often am I more concerned about what's going on in my day than the non-Christians that I might encounter who need to hear about the living Christ? 
How often am I more frustrated by the inconvenience of a line than the opportunity that God has me in this place next to this person at this time for a reason? Many are enemies of the cross because their minds are on earthly things. And said their God is their stomach. By stomach, this idea of kind of gut, inner core desire, it means that God is their appetites. It means as opposed to Paul who says, man, what I would long more than anything else is to share in Christ's sufferings. Enemies of the cross go, I want comfort. I wanna be comfortable. I want things to work out. I want things to be easy. I want things to be the way that I like them and want them. That my God is my pleasure and my comfort. That was their God. How often is that the thing that I follow most? How often do I make a decision based on what's gonna make me happiest? What's gonna make me more comfortable? What's gonna bring me most pleasure? What's gonna be best for me? Rather than making a decision that said, this is what's best for Christ. This is what's best for the gospel. This is what's best for this other person. Their God was their stomach. And it said they glory in their shame. And for some of us, we're like, I don't know anyone who glories in their shame. I do. I've had conversations with people that say, man, I got so drunk last night. Man, I've had so many boyfriends and girlfriends. I've been with so many people. Man, I can't tell you what a jerk I was to that waiter or waitress. It was so funny. Man, I can't believe that I ended up cheating them out of that money. There are many who are enemies of the cross who they glory in the things they should be ashamed of. We live in a world, we have examples all around us of people who glory in things they should be ashamed of. Ashamed of. They glory in their sin. How often do we glory in our sin? And what we forget is their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Today's, there are certain influencers in the world around us that say things. We have in this generation, at this time, hip hop. Hip hop are the people who speak into the ways of life. So I wanna quote a hip hop artist whose name is Lecrae. He's a Christian hip hop artist. So half of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I apologize to all the younger folks. Here you go. Lecrae says that you're gonna be, you're gonna live forever, whether you want to or not. Some of us are gonna end up holy. Some of us are gonna end up hot. The idea is that we forget that there is eternal implications to everything all the time. There's eternity at stake in the relationships that you're around every day. Their end is destruction. How do we, how should we then look at them? How should we think about them? Paul gives us this example. He says, I tell you this with tears. Paul does not rejoice in glory, like, oh, I'm so glad they're not going to heaven. Don't have to deal with them anymore. With tears, he thinks about the enemies of the cross. We should weep over those that we know who are Jews, who are Muslims, who don't know Christ. We shouldn't rejoice. We should weep for them. We should weep for the people who are on the other political party who don't know Christ. We shouldn't rejoice in victory over them. We should weep for them because they don't know Christ. We are reminded of what Christ 
himself did as he went into Jerusalem. He's sitting out over the hill. It says he weeps over Jerusalem and said, if you but knew the one who longs to give you peace, we should weep for those who don't know Christ because their end is destruction. And we have the message of peace that they need. You and I can offer them the peace that only Christ can give. That's how we should respond. And then last, we need to live out who we are. We need to forget what's behind. We need to strain towards what's ahead. We need to keep our eyes up on the example before us. And we've got to live out who we are. It says that we are citizens of heaven. That's an easy thing to forget from time to time. It's easy to believe that we're Tennessee citizens, Knoxville citizens, United States citizens. We are citizens of heaven. That's where our allegiance should always lie. When the choice comes between one or the other, we should be citizens of heaven. And the people of Philippi understood what this meant. It was a colony approach. They were a colony of Rome. So where they were, everything they said, everything they did was to be able to promote Roman law, Roman culture. And how they lived everyday life, they dressed as Romans did. They spoke as Romans did. They did business as Romans did. They ate like Romans did. And so everywhere they went, they were supposed to show what Romans live like. As citizens of heaven, you as individuals, we as a church are a colony of heaven. And we are to bring the rule and the peace and the joy and the culture of heaven wherever we go in our places of business, in our homes, all the activities we're involved in, we're supposed to be a little colony of heaven where people can look at us and see a difference. Look at us and see Christ. Are we those colonies of heaven? Is that what we look like? If people looked at your life, what would they infer about Christ, about heaven, about truth, about the kingdom? We have to live out who we are because we're already citizens. It's not become citizens. It's not earn your way into citizenship. They were citizens because they were conquered. You and I are citizens because we've been conquered by Christ, been conquered by a stronger power. And we are now in him to live out who we are and to help us understand the fact that we can't do this on our own. If all you've heard from today is I've got to try harder, you missed it. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough to do this on your own. But as citizens of heaven, we long for who will come from heaven for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says we eagerly expect, we eagerly await a savior who will come from heaven. And what happens when he does? He transforms our lonely bodies into his body. We will not be made perfect on this side of glory, but there is a day that we will stand before him and we will be made new not because of anything we've done, but because of something he's done for us. And not only are we citizens, we're children of the king. I think we forget that. We are children of the king, the king of kings. You're a child. If you are in Christ, you're a child of the king. So to end, I wanna give two pictures. I'm gonna have a picture for the kids, which the parents you can listen to too. You don't have to like tune me out. And then a picture for the, for the adults, which will also be for the kids. 
So kids, if you've ever seen the movie The Lion King, which hopefully you all have, if you haven't, mom and dad, come on, where are you? There's this moment, okay, that Simba has gone and run away. And then Rafiki, who the monkey is, comes to tell him and remind him who he is. There's this moment where he's sitting there. Now think about where he is. He has totally not forgotten what's behind, has he? He thinks he's responsible for his dad's death, so he's run away. He gets reminded. There's this moment where his dad appears in the clouds and says, remember who you are. Remember that you are the son of the king. And because of that, he goes back. And when he goes back, what does he do? He forgets what's behind. He strains with every muscle towards what's ahead. When he gets there, he is looking up at all the things all around him. And he changes the entire movie because he lives out who he is. Okay, kids got that? Good. Adults, if you do not remember the 1992 Olympics, love the 1992 Olympics. A little highlights if you don't remember. It was the dream team. The first time an NBA players got to play in the Olympics and we killed everybody like really bad. You might remember Carl Lewis wins his third long jump gold medal. Evelyn Ashford, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, some of these amazing women athletes we have. It's not what I remember. I remember a guy named Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond is nobody for most of you. He was a British runner running for the 400 meters. And what I want to do, rather than explain it to you, I'm going to show it to you. I don't know how much trouble I'm going to get in for showing a video in church, but you know what? We're going to figure it out today. So I want you to watch this and we're going to talk about it and then we'll be done. That's good. This was a runner who devoted his entire life to this race. 
He had gone through many, many injuries time and time again. So he shows up at this race to run, trying to forget what was behind, forget all the victories, forget all the wins, forget all the injuries. And he goes to run his race, straining towards what is ahead with every fiber of his being, every muscle that he had, so much so that he partially tore his hamstring halfway through the race. Falls to the ground. No one would have blamed him one bit if he quit. I would have quit. You would have quit. There was a moment where he remembers who he is. I'm an athlete. I'm an Olympian. And I'm going to finish the race. And he presses on in that painful hobble of a limp. And as he makes it around the turn, a stranger from the crowd runs through, through security, you watched him, to put his arm around and help him finish the race. It was his dad. It was his dad. His dad was gonna make sure he finished the race. You are a child of the king who has called you to forget what is behind, to strain to what is ahead, to keep your eyes up and to live out who you are. And when life trips you up, when you stumble and fall, when it becomes just too much, he is the one who's gonna help you finish the race to the end. He is the one who promises never to leave you, never to forsake you. That is the hope that you and I have. So whatever happens to you this week, press on to know Christ, to understand the resurrection and to share in his sufferings.